When I was much younger, I, I built models. Uh, specifically, I would build model airplanes or model ships. I just had a fascination with that. And I, I would enjoy doing it. And it was one of those things, I'm a little, I don't know whether I was thinking about this earlier. I'm not sure I'm bitter or not, but I built a lot of models that I thought were really cool. And my mom and dad threw them all away. Now, I don't know what that means. Maybe they just didn't like looking at them. It was, my mom was not a, a clutter person. She didn't like anything that didn't have a purpose. And so it would disappear quickly, I'm sure. And my dad was kind of the same. But one of the things that I loved doing it, and when I first started building models, I, I wanted to get right to the good stuff. You know, I wanted this plane to look like a plane. So that as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, I could begin to play with that plane, and I wanted to do that really bad. So I'd make sure that I'd get the, you know, the fuselage together, the wings, and I'd get the propeller on it, and then it, it, there were a lot of parts left over, to say that way. There were a lot of parts left over. And I kind of looked at that at like, like 10 or 11 and say, well, you know, what, are, what do all these things have to do with anything? It looks, kind of looks like a plane. Then I figured out something, that it didn't really work all that well if it had any features that might be functional. It didn't work. And then I decided to make a decision. I, just, I made a decision that I am going to follow every direction that there was. And you know what happened? I used every part. It took a, it took a longer. It took longer. But at the end of it, it really looked like a plane. It really looked like a ship. And it actually worked like a plane or a ship. And it was like, wow, this is really cool. So I made a very, very detailed decision that I was going to follow the instructions from letter one all the way through the end. And I was going to do it exactly as was prescribed on the instructions. And it just worked better. It just worked better. And I think life, I think life is like, a lot like building a model. And the truth is, is that when we have some instructions <laughs> and we don't follow them, you know, sometimes things just don't turn out the way that maybe we had hoped they would. Well, this is a phrase I want you to kind of get into your heart for today. When life, while life is complex, God provides instructions to help us navigate and live a full and good life. Now, I want, the, I want, the, I want that to stay up for a bit. One more time, when life is complex, God provides instructions to help us navigate and live a full and good life. Now, I think in some respects, it doesn't do full and good service to scriptures to just call the scriptures an instruction book. But there are instructions for life here that literally will transform us if we not just read it, not just, you know, spend time with it, but rather we begin to apply it and we begin to obey what actually God has given to us. Last week I challenged us all to be persons of prayer with the idea and making a declaration. I resolved to pray. Today I want to make that challenge to be a person of the Word of God. I, I resolve, my resolve today is to be biblical. I want to be biblical in my life. I want to be biblical in how I live my life. You see, as our lives are built, and hear this carefully, as our lives are built upon God's word, 
when we follow his instructions, when we learn from the examples he gives to us, and when we model our lives after Jesus. Now hear this, the living word. The full and good life is within our grasp. It's there. And I want to do that. I, so today I resolve to be biblical, and that's, our, that's my challenge to all of us today. As a church and as a fellowship in the Assemblies of God, this is the statement of faith that you would find in our statements of faith and in the statements of faith of the Assemblies of God. Is the Scriptures, both Old and New Testament, are verbally inspired of God and are the revelation of God to man, the infallible, authoritative rule of faith and life. One more time. The scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, are verbally inspired of God and are the revelation of God to man, the infallible, authoritative rule of faith and life. Now, I want to unpack this for a few minutes, and I want to do so by just what I would call some Bible basics. And I did this a couple of years ago, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell you, about every year or every other year, you're going to hear me do this almost verbatim, because it's important for us to get an understand, to have an understanding of why we put so much confidence in the Word of God. So some Bible basics. The, the word Bible itself, the first thing is the word Bible itself is not found in the Bible. The word Bible means book. But more than it meaning book, what we have in our hands is a collection of books. We have 39 Old Testament books and 27 New Testament books. Together it forms the Bible. And what we learn also is that the Bible was written in three different languages. It was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Now, the, langu- the languages of Scripture are, are very rich languages. They give us meanings and definitions that are unique. English is not, it's not that English is not a rich language, but the languages that, that the Scriptures were originally penned are very rich, and they unpack certain thoughts. For example, just one word, Love is defined in numerous ways in the language of the New Testament in Greek, where we would just say love. Here in Greek, it's three different words that specifically, there are are more words connected to, to love in Greek, but there are three primary words used in Scripture from the Greek language. We don't have that. So it's important for us to understand, and even as I teach and as I preach, from time to time, I'll say something along these lines. The original language of the Old Testament or the New Testament. And then I would give you the definition of that. Why? So that we can understand more clearly what the scriptures are teaching us. Thirdly, this wonderful book of books. And let me just say, the Bible means book. But this is the, this is the book of all books. There is no greater book than the book that I hold in my hand. In fact, it is the number one bestseller of all time worldwide. There's nothing to compare with what Scripture, with what the Bible is. But the miracle of Scripture is that it was written over a 1600 period, year, 1600 year period of time by 40 different authors. Yet, the continuity of the book is extraordinary. The continuity is nothing short of being miraculous. Well, fourth... There are numerous translations of the Bible, whether it's a King James Bible written in the 17th century English, which, let me just say, for those of you who maybe didn't realize this, we don't talk that way anymore. 
I really haven't talked to anybody recently that does the these and the thous and the thys and the whithersoever thou goest. I just don't hear it that way. But that's a 17th century English. So that's a beautiful translation. And if that is your translation, way to go. It's beautiful. The language is beautiful. It's poetic. It's, it's wonderful. But it isn't how we talk today. So there are various translations, whether it's the New International Version or the New Century Version or the uh, New Living Translation. There's a variety of translations. Now, it's important to understand there's a difference between a translation and a paraphrase. You may be familiar with the message. Eugene Peterson was the author of the message. He recently just passed away. The message and the Living Bible are paraphrased. What is a paraphrase? And what is a translation? A translation is actually where the translation committee would gather and they would have the opportunity to review the, the manuscripts, those old documents that have been passed down through centuries, and review those manuscripts and then translate the scriptures from those manuscripts into a language of the day. That's what we find in a translation. What's a paraphrase? A paraphrase is just that. It's restated or reworded in the words of the author. Now, they're wonderful, and they're rich, but they're not a translation, and there's a difference between the two. It's important to understand that distinction. The fifth is that the scriptures that we have in our hands can be trusted. They can be trusted, and that's really very, very important to understand, but upon what basis? What gives us the ability to trust the scriptures? Well, there are three things that they are. First is the scriptures, they are verbally inspired. Now, <clears throat> what does that mean? The idea of being verbally inspired is that every single word of the Bible is there because God wanted it there. That's really important to understand. God wanted to express what we are reading. The word inspired literally means God breathed, or inspiration means God breathed. Once again, God supernaturally, by the Holy Spirit, guided the biblical authors to write, hear this carefully, to write the exact things God wanted expressed. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 is really a very, very key scripture. Look at what Paul writes. He says, all scripture is inspired by God. Let me stop. In the New International Version, it would actually say, all Scripture is God-breathed. Some translations will take those words exactly, God-breathed, or inspiration, or inspired by God. Now look at this. And is useful for, to teach us what is true, make us realize what is wrong in our lives, it corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. It is it's inspired of God. God, by His Spirit, supernaturally gave to the authors what He wanted to say to you and to me as people. So they're verbally inspired, but they're also, they're infallible. They're infallible. The word infallible means trustworthy, sure, certain, exempt from liability, and as to persons or pronouncements. So 
there, there is a truth, there is a trustworthiness, there is a surety connected to what is said. Why? Because it's verbally inspired of God. It's been God-breathed into the authors. The authors then share what's here, and it becomes the infallible, the trustworthy, the sure, the certain words of God to his people. So if it's infallible, if it's infallible, what, what evidence, what evidence is there that what we have is trustworthy. How can we be sure of this? Well, as I stated a few minutes ago, the scriptures were given over a period of 1,600 years by 40 different authors, yet there's a continuity that's maintained. Now, how does that actually happen from the earliest of writings to today? How do we have what we have? Well, over the period of centuries, scribes would take what was written and make a copy of it and pass it down to the next generation. And this would just continue on and on and on for hundreds of years, for centuries, to what we have. And so people would often ask, well, how can I be sure? Because, you know, that's just, how do I know that there aren't changes or or mistakes or difficulties with what was written? Well, the truth of the matter is, there were actually about 200,000 of those kinds of questions, or I guess you could call them variants. Now, a variant doesn't mean that you have, you know, a hundred different variations of the same text. No, you don't have a hundred copies that are completely different of the Gospel of John, for example. But what you would have is you would have a misspelled word or you would have a word that was left out or a sentence that may have been omitted. For example, if I were to take ten people, get them into a room, and say, copy this, after we were done copying, we would have words left out, we would have misspellings, we would have all kinds of variants. Now, the manuscript that I preach from each week, I don't preach from a traditional outline. I preach from a manuscript. I just have chosen to write it out. By the time I come to a Sunday to preach, I've probably edited this manuscript, I don't know, 10, a dozen times. I don't know. I'm always always doing something to it. This morning, I'm doing it again, and I found more errors, and I changed them, got them all corrected. And then I make the final print, and I put it in my Bible, ready to go, and there's still mistakes. It's like, how in the world can I keep doing that? So it's a natural thing to leave out a word, to, to do a little bit of a change, make from, it should be from, but you make it form. And so you have these variants. Now, why is that significant? Because Bible scholars down through history took the time to gather those variants and examine them to see whether or not what we have is trustworthy. So, two individuals by the name of Westcott and Hort are two of those very incredible Bible scholars. They took those variants, and here's what they discovered. They found that only one-eighth, one-eighth of the variants that they examined of the 200,000 had, and here's their words, had any credibility. The rest were trivialities. What this means is this would leave the text that we have 98.33% accurate. Now, you go a little farther. Philip Schaff, another biblical historian, estimated that there were only 400 variants that affected the sense of the passage of Scripture. And only 50 of those were actually important. He asserted not one affected an article of faith or a precept of duty. 
Let me go on. Dr. B.B. Warfield, another scholar. The great mass of the New Testament has been transmitted to us with no or next to no variations. Let me go on. Dr. Gordon Fee. It is noteworthy that the, for most scholars, over 90% of all the variations of the New Testament text are resolved. The fact is that no textual variants in either Old or New Testaments in any way, shape, or form materially disrupt or destroy any essential doctrine of the Christian faith. The truth is you can trust the Word of God with your life. Transforming. It's life-altering. It's miraculous. Well, also, these words, they're authoritative for faith and life. That was another part of the statement of our of statement of faith. They're authoritative. They, they speak to us of an authority that I need to give my life to. They help me with my faith, and they, they help me with my life. Second Peter chapter 1 reads, When we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we were not telling just clever stories that someone invented. Let me stop for a second. That's really significant. Peter and John and Matthew, and these individuals saw Jesus. They walked with him. And what is Peter saying? Once again, when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we were not telling you just clever stories we invented. Someone invented. But we saw the greatness of Jesus with our own eyes. This makes us, look at this, this makes us more sure about the message the prophets gave. It's good for you to follow closely what they said as you would follow a light shining in a dark place until the day begins and the morning star rises in your hearts. Most of all, you must understand this. No prophecy in the scriptures ever comes from the prophet's own interpretation. No prophecy ever came from what a person wanted to say, but people led by the Holy Spirit spoke words from God. The Bible contains history, and poetry, stories. It's filled with biographies of incredible people. It shows us miracles, and it gives us a glimpse of, of people who from a different time and place, but yet who are very much like we are today. All of this is woven around a similar conflict of good versus evil. It opens a door to truth that can be found nowhere else. I'm going to say it again. It opens a door to truth that can be found nowhere else. A door that leads to freedom and to hope and to God himself. Hallelujah. You can trust. You can trust the word of God. So for a few minutes, we want to look at a passage of scripture from Psalm 19. So look at it with me if you would. It's in your program. It's also on the screen. Psalm 19, verse number 7. David writes, the law of the Lord is perfect. Refreshing the soul. Statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Three thoughts. The first. The Word of God is complete, and it is powerful. It's complete, and it is powerful. The psalmist uses the word law, the law of the Lord. And what's important about this, we often, we may look at the word law and think only of the, like the first five books of the Old Testament, which are considered the law. But there's more to it than that. 
The word law is a wonderfully comprehensive word, which means all that God wants us to know about himself. That's really what it is. So when you read the word law, it's more than just a set of rules. It has that as a component, but that's not all it is. It's the comprehensive word that speaks what God wants us to know about him. Now, this, now David goes on and he unpacks it a little bit. And he uses different words to help us understand more clearly or more fully what the word law is. He uses the word statutes, which are the firm principles to whose validity the Lord testifies. So statutes. The second is precepts. Precepts. These are the precise rules for living. Then you have another word, commands. There's an authority connected to the commands. Then you have the word fear. And it's very interesting that in this context of speaking of the law of God, the word fear is used. But here, in this context, it means a time-honored truth. A time-honored truth that, that is permanently valued and is always to or valid, excuse me, permanently valid and is to be revered. And then the final word he uses is ordinances. This is God's decisions on practical questions of human behavior. So you see, there's this full-orbed understanding of God's word. But then he adds to this. Some, in, some great adjectives to describe its beauty. He says it's, it's perfect, it's trustworthy, it's right, it's radiant, it's pure, it's sure, it's righteous, and it warns. When you consider the description of the Word of God, there's nothing that is left on the sideline. So one more time, I'm going to go back to my model building. I would build my models before I would actually look at all of the instructions. And at the end of it, I would have piece after piece after piece left over. And I'd say to myself, what is that all about? I don't understand how it all fits together. The last thing that I want to do is consider the Word of God like that. And truthfully, we don't need to because the Word of God is complete and it is powerful. It speaks to every area of our life. There's nothing left out. 2 Peter chapter 1 Everything we could ever need for life and complete devotion to God has already been deposited in us by His divine power. For all of this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing Him who has called us by name and invited us to come to Him through a glorious manifestation of His goodness. Now look at this part. As a result of this, He has given you magnificent promises that are beyond all price, so that through the power of these tremendous promises, you can experience partnership in the divine nature by which you have escaped the corrupt desires that are of the world. There is nothing that you and I will ever experience or walk through in faith or in life that God's word is not complete in its instruction and powerful to make a change and a difference within our life. I'm grateful for that. The second thing is that the Word of God transforms us and is practical. It's practical. Well, back to my model building for just a minute. Uh, I, can't, I can't point to a specific date or occasion when this happened. But, as I'd said, I'd been building models and ending up with a lot of parts left over. And I finally got to the place I'm saying, I wonder what would happen if I used all the parts. Now, that sounds a little odd, but that's kind of what I thought. I said, what if I used all the parts? And so I thought, well, the only way this is going to happen is i got to start like at point number one with figure number one and find part number one and then add part number two to part number one all through the way of part 1050 to whatever, you know, whatever it was. The only way it's going to work, i got to follow them all. So I did. When I did, 
Here's what I discovered. It looked like an airplane. It looked like a ship. And it actually worked. Something else I discovered. There were no parts left over. But I had an aha moment. And I kind of went, that's what happens. There is a transformation that takes place from these plastic pieces that make no sense all by themselves, but when they are put together in order, it comes out with something that is beautiful and that I can be proud of. And I would suggest to all of us this morning, when we begin to live the Word of God and allow the Word of God to be in our life, something beautiful will be created and there will be nothing left out of what God is doing in our life. Nothing. It's transforming. As a people of God, as a people of, of God's Word, reading and studying and meditating upon the Word of God, it will transform you. It will transform me. Maybe that could be one of the reasons we avoid it. It's because of the transforming power and nature of the Word of God. You see, the psalmist says it will revive your soul. Why wouldn't I want that? It will make wise the simple. I need that. It gives joy and it gives light to my life. It endures. And maybe this is the hard one. And it's righteous. It calls us to a level of life and righteousness that is contrary to our society and culture. Psalm 119, and I'm going to tell you right now, in your notes, I'm so glad uh, Starla referenced them, in your notes, part of the next steps, and I always give you a couple of questions and the next steps and a prayer focus. In the next steps portion, you've got some homework to do. And I hope you'll do it. I, I hope you take these home and do these things. The homework is, is to read Psalm 119 this week. There it is. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. And in the 176 verses, the entire Psalm, the entire psalm of 119 is dedicated to the majesty, power, and amazing qualities of the Word of God. In the original language of the Hebrew, it's even more so. Because in Hebrew, each of the, there are 22 sections of eight verses. And each of those 22 sections begin with a letter of the, of the Hebrew alphabet. And then in every part of like the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet is Aleph. So the first eight verses, every sentence begins with the letter Aleph. It is a miracle how God has put it together. But what the psalmist does in Psalm 119 is go even farther than what, the, what David did in Psalm 19. David gave us five different words to unpack the law of God. In Psalm 119, they give us ten. To give us this, again, this full spectrum of what God's word does. And I want to read you just a few portions of Psalm 119, four verses. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees that I may follow it to the end. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. I consider all precepts right and I hate every wrong path. The entire chapter, just once again, over and over again, shows us the power and the majesty of the Word of God. And on a personal note, every day I read one section, every day I read one section of Psalm 119 as part of my devotional life. Every day. For 22 days of the month, I read it over 
and over again. I read it 12 times a year. Why? Because I want the power and majesty of the Word of God to be planted deeply within my life. I never want, it, I never want to depart from it. I want it to characterize it and define who I am. Charles Spurgeon, I, he's got so many great things he has said. He said, it is God's Word that made us. Is it any wonder is it any wonder that it is God's word that will sustain us? You see, we were called into existence by the word of God, and it is God's word that continues to sustain us. Number three, the word of God is beneficial, and it requires our obedience. I love the way that David says it. He says, your words are sweeter than honey. Sweeter than the honeycomb. Better than honeycomb. And then he says, it's more precious than gold. And then David adds this, but it warns me. It warns me, and it has great reward. It's interesting how there is this juxtaposition between the the benefits, but yet the warning of the Word of God. I'm grateful for the way that God's Word corrects me, but then at the same time blesses me. That is so significant to me. And Beth Moore, a great Bible teacher, this is what she said. She said, when God's Word is deliberately internalized, it will be authentically externalized because it is no longer what we do, it's a part of who we are. Now think about that for a moment. When we begin to ingest the Word of God, there will be a transformation that happens on the inside of us that we begin to live differently because of the Word of God within us. I pray that that would be the case in my life and in all of our lives. That's our challenge this morning is to be people of the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 says, For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Wow. Now, here's another little piece of homework for you. I want you to go home and I want you to do a Google search. Here's a Google search. I want you to Google Pollyanna. Pollyanna, 1960 film. And I want you to Google two words, happy texts. That's all I want you to do. And you'll understand what it's all about when you read it or when you see it. But here's what I want you to take away from it. There are thousands of happy texts right here, and I love every one of them. But I want you to know, not only is the word of God sweeter than honey than the honeycomb and more precious than gold, it also warns and corrects me. And I need the warning and the correcting of the Word of God, so that I live the full and good life that He has promised to me. James 1.22, don't listen, don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourself. So I bring our time to a close with four thoughts in being biblical. And I resolve to be biblical. The first is, in order to be biblical, we need to embrace a biblical morality. A biblical morality. There is a morality that you can easily find in our culture and society today, and it isn't anything but biblical. How do, we, how do we define this? Because there's so much in Scripture that would speak to this issue. So I went to the words of Jesus. Jesus was challenged one day by a religious leader. And he was asked this question, what's the greatest commandment? Now think about that for a moment. There are over 600 different laws in the Old Testament And then there's the Ten Commandments that we would know pretty well, at least be familiar with. So Jesus takes all of this and he says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God 
with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbors yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So what he did is he brought everything together. Now, even if you went just specifically to the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments deal with our relationship between us and God. The next six commandments deal with our relationship between us and other people. If you just took that, that is essentially the idea of the moral law of God. Be right related here and be rightly related here. In all of your actions, don't do anything that would wound or hurt or the moral law of God. So do we live our life according to a biblical morality? Is that, is that, what, our character, is that what our character reflects? You see, obedience to the morality of Scripture will ensure the blessings, will ensure the blessings that are guaranteed. The second thing is to commit to biblical study. It is not something that I take lightly, nor do I express it lightly. I can't tell you how important it is to study the Word of God. Uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 11, just real quick. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. This phrase, they searched the Scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. Seek, rather, search the Scriptures every day. Study the Word of God. Study corporately. Do what you're doing here on a weekend service. Be in a life group. And I'm going to say it again. Be in a life group. You need to join a group. You need to be in a group. You need to be in a life group. I want to encourage you to be in a part of a life group. I think you understand that I'm talking about being a part of a life group. Can I encourage you to be in a group? Be in a life group. Because it's so important for us to let iron sharpen iron and to talk about the things of God. There is only so much that we can do in an environment like this, but it is in this small group that we can go deep into the things of God and connect with each other. So today, sign up and be a part of life groups. And let me also say, ladies, this is for you ladies, every Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock right here, Bible Study Fellowship meets. And if you are available on a, on a Wednesday morning, this is an incredible opportunity for you to connect with other ladies and study the Word of God. I want to encourage you to do so. You also need to study personally. On a personal level, study the Word of God. Now, here's the thing. We really don't have an excuse any longer in this respect. You, you can have your Bible with you at every moment of every day. If you've got a smartphone, you've got a Bible with you everywhere you go at every day moment of the day. And there's this thing called version. Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N. It is absolutely free. You can download it on your smartphone. Did you hear the word? It's free. You don't have to pay for it. There are reading plans for you on version. Begin to read the Word of God every day. You're going to use your smartphone and check your social, your social media status more than you check the Word of God. Maybe you just ought to flip the two and spend a little bit more time with God when you're sitting in the dentist's office, you open up you version and let God's word speak to your life and transform you. Be systematic. Get a translation that you understand. One that's, that makes sense to you. I get it. The King James is beautiful. I grew up with it. But I don't read the King James except for specific purposes and certain reasons when I'm studying. I read versions that will put it in today's language. 
do that. Find one that you can, you can understand. And if you don't have a Bible today, stop by and we'll give you a Bible. We're going to make sure you have what you need to begin to study the Word of God. The goal of Bible study is not just to do it. It is to worship God. Catch that. It's not just checking off something on your list. No, it's to worship God. Also, number three is to recognize biblical authority. And when the Scriptures say that it warns us and it blesses us, this is where we have, we have to come to grips with the truth. To be biblical, in order to be biblical, we have to recognize the authority of Scripture over our life. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul writes, Therefore we never stop thanking God when we received His message from us. When you received His message from us. You didn't think of our words as mere human words. You accepted what we said as the, as the very Word of God, which, of course, it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. This is essential. God's word is just that. It's God's word. It has been supernaturally given to us, inspired of God by the Holy Spirit. God is communicating with us exactly what he wants us to hear. It is the final word in faith and in life. It's the final word. It is not a word. It is the word. We have to recognize God is the final word in our life. Tim Keller, pastors in New York City, this is what he wrote. He said, if we pick out which parts of the Bible we dislike, we actually have a God we've created. How can that God ever call you out on anything? We pick and choose. No, I don't like that. I don't like this. I don't want that. No, 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 no. We come under the authority of the Word of God. That's where the good and the full life will happen. We come under His authority. You know, when I think about this, it opens the door to a couple of questions. So I just would ask, do I seek His righteousness first? Do I? Am I concerned about the same things that God's concerned about? The lost, the hurting, the injustice. Scott mentioned a few moments ago 400 million children on the continent of Africa, more than the entire population of the United States of America. Do I have the same concern in my heart for those children as God does? Do I believe what Scripture reveals and teaches? Do I believe it and do I live it out? Do I believe and have I come under the authority of God's word that he created the heavens and the earth? Do I believe what God believes that life is valuable, including the baby in the womb? Do I believe that marriage is defined in scripture is between a man and a woman? Do I believe that there is no other name but Jesus where we can be saved? Have I come under the authority of the word of God? Challenges me. Samuel Rutherford, he said, believe God's word and power more than you believe your own feelings and experiences. It's God's word. The infallible word, the authoritative word of faith and life. Have I recognized the biblical authority in my life? And finally, accept your biblical identity. 
talk, I talk often about identity because I think we have identity crisis in the U.S. in so many different ways. And I'm not, I can only speak for the U.S. I can't speak for the world. I can speak for where I live. Identity is a huge issue. I want you to listen to what God's Word declares. 1 Peter chapter 2, but you are once chosen by God, chosen for a high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do His work and speak for Him, to tell others of the night and day difference He made for you. Now listen to this, from nothing to something and from rejected to accepted. That's who you are according to the Word of God. We began this morning with this phrase. While life is complex, God provides instructions to help us navigate to live a full and good life. Let me add it, add to this. God's desire for us is a full and good life. His Word provides the instructions to see that life become a reality. Obedience to His Word makes it absolutely possible. So I'm going to ask you this morning, with your eyes open, your heads looking right at me, to make a declaration with me. I'm going to make it first. and Then I'm going to ask you to repeat the very same things that I say right back to me. And I want you to do it with a sense of passion. Not just a sense of, well, the pastor asked me to do this, I'll do it. Don't say it if you don't mean it. That's okay. It is okay. I don't know where you are in your faith journey, but I want to encourage you to journey faith with us. Let's see what God will do in your life. But don't make a declaration or a conclusion if it's not really in your heart of hearts. God understands that, and it's okay. But here's the declaration, and I'm going to make it. I resolve to be biblical. If that's your declaration with passion from your heart of hearts, say it back to me on the count of three. One, two, and three. Jesus, you see hearts as those words are declared. Let it be so. Let us understand that your word is sweet like honey. Oh, man. Oh, it's straight from the honeycomb. It's fresh. Provides wisdom, makes the simple wise. It revives. Lord, it's more precious than gold. There's nothing like the word of God. Lord, let us treasure it as such. But Lord, I also, I pray in that declaration that we understand that all of these blessings and benefits and the promises, they're all there. Every promise in the book is mine. I agree with that. But Lord, so is every premise, challenge, conviction, righteousness, truth, justice, I pray, O oh God, that my declaration, that our declaration, say, I come under the authority of the Word of God. 
Lord, I'm believing that as I do that, the good and full life will be mine. Pray this in Jesus' name.